pleasant Sabbath to each one of you. And it's good to fellowship with the Tomb Puna Church. It's Tomb Puna Church, right? Amen. Well, thank you for coming over from the East to worship with us here at Community Hospital today. I'm one of the physicians here at the Community Hospital. I've been here for about six months. And my wife, Joelle, did the scripture reading. And we've really enjoyed our time here in Trinidad. I think our favorite part has been the fellowship with other believers. And it's been just a continuation of being part of the family of God, whether it was in the United States or now that we're here in Trinidad. So we thank you for the warmth that you've given to us um, throughout our time here in Trinidad. So um, it's nice for me to see a group of believers come over from the east to worship with us here in the west today. So thank you for being here. Pastor George, who is the, the pastor here at the hospital, he asked me to give a presentation on mental health, sanctification, and salvation and how they relate to each other. So I hope that what we talk about this morning will be helpful to all of us. I am a neurologist by training, so some of the things that I'm talking about today will relate to what I know from the medical side of things, but also um, we want to look at things from the spiritual, biblical side of things. So that's what we're, we're going to look at in the next few minutes. Why don't we have a word of prayer and then we will get into our presentation here. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And I pray that you will be with us during this presentation. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled my talk, Mental Health and Salvation. Now, what does mental health have to do with salvation? Well, first of all, good mental health is very important. It's crucial if we expect to have a good relationship with Jesus. Would you agree with that? Okay, and having a relationship with Jesus enables us to live stable lives here on this earth, amen? So therefore, having good mental health is a key component to having a good walk with God. Now, obviously mental health is that which pertains to the health of our minds. And the physical structure of our mind is contained in the brain. And that's what I've spent some extra years of my life studying. And so this is fascinating personally to me in my line of work as a neurologist. Mental health and our minds and how God communicates with us. How does that all tie in together? God communicates with us directly in our minds. So we want to have clear minds for God to speak to us, amen? Now, specifically, the part of the brain that God speaks to us is found in the frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe is right behind the forehead here. And there's four lobes in the brain, and the back of the brain, the occipital lobe, helps you to see 
the top of the middle of the brain is the parietal lobe, helps you to have sensation, gives you the ability to calculate and do other things, um, determine what's the right side, what's the left side. The temporal lobes, which are deeper down, give you memory. It's the frontal lobe, which has a number of functions. It gives you the ability to speak. It controls the strength in your body. But more importantly, this is the part of the brain where our spirituality, our morality, and our will are located. So all things considered, this is the most important part of the brain. I mean, if you're able to see clearly, but not think clearly, what good is that going to do you? Now, obviously, we want the entire brain, all four lobes, to be functioning well. We don't want to minimize one at the expense of the other. We want all of them to be working well. But the frontal lobe, for purposes of our Christian experience, that is clearly the most important part. Now, it's interesting. In human beings, this is the largest lobe in the brain. I'm glad for that. Now, it's interesting, though, if you compare the frontal lobe in human beings to other mammals, for example, in cats, it's about three and a half percent the size of the, of, of the volume of the brain. Dogs, it's seven percent. Human beings, it's 33 to 38 percent. So if you notice, if you have pets at home, dogs seem to be a little bit smarter than cats. They, now, maybe not in all cases, but typically, Dogs are smarter than cats, and they're able to somehow communicate with humans a little bit better. That's because they have a, a larger frontal lobe. Now, it's not very large, but it is larger than cats. Human beings, our frontal lobes are five times as large, proportionally speaking, um, compared to dogs. So God has given us minds to reason from cause to effect. And in the frontal lobe, this is where we make our decisions with respect to our walk with God. So this is what we are going to be talking about today when we talk about the mind and making good choices and allowing God to speak with us. Certainly, God communicates through us, to us through our entire brain, but it's especially the frontal lobe where that communication takes place. Now, what I want to look at this morning are the spiritual aspects of mental health in the mind as found in the Bible and the writings of Ellen White. So let's take a look at a few passages of Scripture. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. What does the Bible say? about mental health and the mind. Let's see what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says. Here it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see what the Bible says here? God has given us sound minds. Of course, he's also given us power and love, and he hasn't given us the spirit of fear. But here we see God has given us a sound mind. Are you thankful for having a sound mind? Amen. If we did not have sound minds, 
we would not be able to function normally. And unfortunately, there are people in this world who lose their reasoning abilities and they do not have sound minds and do not function normally. Now, I want to show you another passage of scripture in Philippians chapter four, verse seven. So turn to Philippians chapter four, verse seven. This is again, the apostle Paul speaking. Philippians chapter four, verse seven says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So notice this, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, the promise is this peace will keep our hearts and minds. So we can trust the keeping of our minds, of having a sound mind to Jesus Christ. Amen? God wants us to have sound minds. He promises to keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, unfortunately... God is not the only one that's contending for our minds. Do you believe that? Notice what Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7 says about the battle in our mind. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So notice what the battle is that is taking place. God promises to give us sound minds. Now, do you believe that when the Bible speaks of a sound mind, that it is speaking of a carnal mind that is at enmity with the law of God? No, the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. It is at enmity with God. And so God is trying to give us sound minds. And yet the devil is trying to control our minds so that we will be carnal and not be subject to the law of God. Now, there is another verse in the book of Romans. This is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which is in this week's Sabbath school quarterly lesson, which shows us that we do not need to stay having a carnal mind. Notice what Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The carnal mind is at enmity with God and is not subject to the law of God. But when our minds are transformed, we do what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see that? This is the sound mind that God has promised to give each one of us when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? So having a renewed mind, a transformed mind, leads to good mental health. Now, if you have a carnal mind, 
what kind of mental health do you think you're going to have? You're going to be very unstable. You're going to be doing things that you don't want to do, and you're not going to be doing things that you want to do. That's the Romans 7 experience. This leads to guilt. Guilt leads to anxiety. Anxiety can lead to depression. It's a pathway that we see all the time in medicine. Now, let me clarify, not all depression is caused by guilt. Sometimes people go through tough crises in life, maybe the loss of a loved one, so I'm not making a blanket statement. But many times, depression is caused by ongoing and unresolved guilt. We want to have good mental health. We want to have good mental health that leads to a close walk with God. Now, what does the spirit of prophecy say about mental health? This is found in volume three of the testimonies, page 136. Ellen White says, every organ of the body was made to be servant to the mind. The mind is the capital of the body. Now, notice what she's saying here. She's saying the mind, which really what she's talking about is the frontal lobe, which is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. That is the capital of the body, and every other organ of the body is servant to the mind. So you know what that means? You can't blame your stomach for eating too much. You can't. You make that decision in the mind. Is the stomach going to tell your mind what to do? Are you going to get, is the mind going to give in to the stomach that says, I'm hungry, I know it's 11 o'clock at night and I've already had three meals today, but I'm going to eat a fourth meal. I know my diabetes is out of control, but I'm still going to do it anyway. Or are we going to allow God to work through our minds so that we make sound, clear decisions through his power and through his grace? Clearly, the mind is the capital of the body, and if you look at the nature of man, you have the higher powers and the lower powers. The mind is the higher power, and the rest of the body, the appetites and passions, are the lower powers, and the mind was designed by God to govern the lower passions. That has been flipped after the fall of man, and typically men allow the lower passions to guide the higher passions, and that's what happened when Adam made his decision to eat the fruit 6,000 years ago. So every organ of the body was made to be servant to the mind. So don't ever blame poor choices on, well, my stomach made me do it, or something else, okay? Now, let's look at some other quotes here. Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 1, page 72. The mind controls the whole man. All our actions, good or bad, have their source in the mind. It is the mind that worships God and allies us to heavenly beings. So there's a couple of things here. First of all, all of our actions, good or bad, have their source in the mind. That's where our actions come from. The other thing that's important here is that it's in the mind that we worship God. And that's where we form an alliance with heavenly beings. So we have this wonderful promise here that we can be allied or in an alliance with heavenly beings in our mind. And God has given us that gift. And again, the mind is the, is the capital of the body. The rest of the organs are servant to the mind. 
So obviously God's going to speak to us directly through our mind. One more quote, volume two of the Testimonies, page 347. The brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate to man and affect his inmost life. You see that? The brain nerves, the brain itself, that's the only medium through which heaven can communicate. So God isn't speaking to your stomach. He's not speaking to your feet. He's not speaking to your hands. He's speaking to your mind. And that's how God speaks to us. Now, we've been speaking about the importance of having good mental health. We see that good mental health comes from the mind. What we need is to see an example of good mental health. Now, does the Bible give us an example of good mental health? Who would you pick from the Bible as the prime example of someone with good mental health? Amen. Jesus Christ. And what verse would you pick to demonstrate that? How about Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, which we all know? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, which says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? A lot of times we read Philippians 2, 5, and we don't think a whole lot about what it means to have the mind of Christ. Well, if you look at the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2, this starts to give us an idea of what the mind of Christ is like. And I, I like to describe the first four verses as good church mental health. Because in our churches, we need to have a good interaction with each other. And so notice what Philippians 2 says, starting in verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So this is good church mental health. Being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You know, if we as a church learned how to love each other the way Jesus loves us, you know, some of those things we fight about would be immaterial. If we learn to be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and you know, it is possible to be of one accord. You know, those disciples who were fighting over who would be the greatest, by the time you get to Acts chapter 2, after praying for 10 days together, they put aside their differences and they became of one accord. And so scripture says, be of one accord, of one mind. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You know what happens so often in church? We say, don't they know that I'm more talented than that brother? Why did they make him the head elder? How come I'm not the song service leader? I can sing way better than that person. 
And yet we aren't having the mind of Christ esteeming each other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then we get to verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you may be saying, well, but Paul doesn't understand. I mean, if he knew how much work I had put into this church, and of all the sacrifice that I've done, he would understand that I have reason to be proud of all that I've done for this church, and how dare they look over what I've accomplished. And then Paul says, no, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Paul saying, look, those of you who think that you're so great, that you're so indispensable to the cause of God, that if you weren't here, the work couldn't go forward. Look, Jesus was God. He is God. He left heaven and came to earth and became a man. Don't tell me that you are so great. You have nothing to offer. Learn how to have the mind of Christ. Make yourself of no reputation. And you know why there is so much, one of the reasons why there is so much trouble in the church today, as, as it is, as we relate to each other, and also with our mental health, is that we can't take the idea of being of no reputation. We have to be noticed. I mean... How, how could it be that God could allow me to be in this situation where I'm constantly being put down over and over and over again? I mean, they need to notice what I have to offer. Come on, God. Don't you know who I am? I went to school for this many years so that I can have a title next to my name so that people will know that I'm important. And now they're treating me like I'm nobody. Well, hang on here. Jesus Christ was God. He is God. Came to this earth to save man. And they treated him like he was an illegitimate son born out of wedlock. And then put him on the cross and nailed him to the cross and put him to death. And they killed him who he, and he came to save them. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Not only did he humble himself and become a man, Ellen White tells us in Desire of Ages, page 49, that it would have been an infinite humiliation for Christ to take the nature of man before the fall, but he took the nature after the fall. Not only did he do that, but he humbled himself so that he would die. It's humiliating enough to be God but to become man. Not only that, he died the most ignominious death on the cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How many of us, and I'm, we're not going to ask for a showing of hands, in our heart of hearts, are we 
having the experience of the mind of Christ, of being content to be of no reputation here on this earth. All we care about is doing God's work on this earth. And if that means we have no reputation, so be it. We're servants of God. And no servant is greater than his master. We're going to go through what Christ went through. No reputation. And that's where we often get tested. Pride is such a big problem in our, in our church. So as you go on, in Philippians chapter 2, we see that, that God exalts Christ at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, as we continue on, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, because of having the need to have the mind of Christ, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know what he's saying here is, working out your salvation with fear and trembling involves having the mind of Christ being made of no reputation, being like-minded, of the same accord, having the same love. Work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So when God comes into us, that is how we receive the mind of Christ. And then we see, verses 14 through 16, when the mind of Christ comes into our lives, notice what happens. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do we murmur and complain, or do we cheerfully go about doing the Lord's work? Are we like the children of Israel who murmured and complained and were kept out of the promised land? Or are we cheerfully doing the service God has given us to do? Verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now, we've seen some of these things. And I want to show you one other verse, speaking of the mind of Christ, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Here scripture says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Notice what Peter is saying. He's saying Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Specifically, his suffering in the flesh was in the mind because we are told to arm ourselves likewise with the same mind. And then when we do so, we cease from sin. You know what, what the problem with so many of us is when it comes to having lack of victory over sin in our lives? We know the promises of God. We know that God promises that he's able to keep us from falling. But when the rubber meets the road, of having the mind of Christ, and when we are tested on, will we have the mind of Christ and be of no reputation, or will we say, I need to be recognized. I need to be appreciated for who I am and what I do. We choose the road of self-esteem and of pride rather than the road of the mind of Christ, which means to suffer in the flesh and to contend directly with sin. But when we learn to have the mind of Christ, we will cease from sin. 
Now, another way to describe the mind of Christ is that his mind is a representation of God's character, which was surrendered to his Father's will. You can see that in John chapter 5, verse 30, where Jesus says, I seek not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Jesus, in his humanity, wasn't seeking to do his own will. He relied on the will of the Father. And God is looking for a group of people today who will seek to do God's will rather than our own will. Now, the mind or character of Christ is a demonstration of God's plan for the mental health of his people living in the last days of earth's history. Having the mind of Christ, being of no reputation, being like-minded with our fellow believers, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That is God's plan for us in the last days. If you don't believe me, read John chapter 17. That is God's prayer for his church, that we would be of one mind, of one accord. Now, God's character or his mind, as demonstrated through the mind of Christ, is reflected in the law of God. Amen? Amen. And how do I know that? God's law is a transcript of his character. And for example, Isaiah 57, 15 says that God's name is holy. Amen? God's name is holy. And Romans 7, verse 12 says that God's law is holy. So you see the connection? God's name is holy. And your name represents your character. The names in the Bible were chosen to describe the characteristics that the parents wanted their child to form. So your name describes your character. God's name in Isaiah 57:15 says that he, his name is holy. Romans 7 verse 12 says that his law is holy. So if God's name is holy and God's law is holy, we can see very clearly from the Bible that God's law is a transcript of his character. And Ellen White just says it in black and white. God's law is a transcript of his character. But I just gave you some Bible verses to prove the very same thing. So scripture teaches that God's name is holy and his law is holy. Therefore, Scripture teaches that God's character is described by the law. Now, what does this have to do with mental health? What does God's character and his law have to do with mental health, especially of God's people in the last days? I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, and the corresponding verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Notice what Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. You see what God wants to do? He wants to put his law in our hearts and minds. Now, what is his law again? It's a transcript of his character, which is holy. And God wants to put his character, which is holy, into our minds. If God's law or character is in our mind, what kind of mental health do you think you will experience? You know, the reason why so many people suffer from mental health problems such as depression today 
is related to lack of true spiritual healing in the mind. Now again, I don't want to minimize there are cases of depression where people go through intense sadness from the loss of a loved one and so on. And I certainly would encourage you to get professional health counseling, whatever you need in those instances. But I've also seen many cases of people who have lived guilt-ridden lives apart from God that have led them into a profound state of depression that they have not come out of. And we want to look at what God can do to bring spiritual healing to us. God's purpose of the new covenant is to forgive us of our sins and to remove our sins and to empower us to live his life on this earth. Amen? However, when we are not connected to God and when we are failing to live by faithful obedience through his strength and power, when we fail to live through his strength and power, we are burdened with the load of our own sins and the guilt that is associated with it. Now, Jesus died so that we don't have to carry the burden of our sins and the guilt from our sins. Amen? Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to have the guilt of our sins weighing us down anymore. He wants to set us free from sin. Amen? He doesn't save us in our sins, but from our sins. You can see that in Matthew 1.21. However, if we continue to sin against God, breaking his law willfully and knowingly over and over again, despite the fact that we know that Jesus died for us, he's not going to magically remove that guilt from us when we are willfully breaking his law. But he wants to set us free from that guilt. Now notice um, what Ellen White says in Ministry of Healing, page 241. She says, Grief, anxiety, discontent, remorse, guilt, distrust, all tend to break down the life forces and to invite decay and death. Notice that. Grief, anxiety, discontent, remorse, guilt, and distrust. All of those things break down the life forces. And God doesn't want us to live a life that is centered around grief, anxiety, guilt, and so on. If we continue to sin, we will continue to experience guilt, which leads to anxiety, discontent, and remorse. Now, notice what Ellen White says in My Character and Personality, Volume 1, page 451. This feeling of guiltiness must be laid at the foot of the cross of Calvary. Do you believe that? Laying this feeling of guiltiness at the foot of the cross. The sense of sinfulness has poisoned the springs of life and true happiness. So we cannot have true happiness if we have guilt. Now Jesus says, lay it all on me. And I love what she says here about what Jesus wants. Lay it all on me. I will take your sin. I will give you peace. Destroy no longer your self-respect, for I have bought you with the price of my own blood. You are mine. That's so beautiful. Jesus says, you are mine. Don't stay in that guilt-ridden life where you don't have true happiness. You are mine. Your weakened will, I will strengthen. Your remorse for sin, I will remove. And I'm thankful for that. Because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when we accept Jesus as our Savior, 
when we accept the forgiveness for our sins from the past and the power in his life to transform us so that we can live a different life moving forward, we will receive the true happiness that comes from being a Christian. Now you may be saying, well, that's really great, Dr. McNulty, but I've tried over and over again, and it just doesn't work for me. Well, let me read a quote to you from Steps to Christ, page 47, where she says, Many are inquiring, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. Does this sound familiar? I think we've all been here. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. But you need not despair. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. And this is where we're talking about the frontal lobe. That's where the will is located. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. God has given us the power to choose. So we don't need to stay weighed down with guilt. Now notice what she continues to say here. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. Now notice this. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. But you can choose to serve Him. You can give Him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. That's Philippians 2. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon Him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with Him. So notice what happens when we choose to serve God. We go from being under the feeling that we cannot control our thoughts, our impulses, our affections. We, we go from feeling that we are in slavery to doubt, that, we are, that our life is controlled by the habits of sin. We go from feeling discouraged to saying, you know what, I'm not going to try to do this on my own anymore. What I'm going to do is I choose to serve God. God, you come into my heart and life, and I give you permission to work out your life through me. When that happens, we receive the mind of Christ. He works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, and he strengthens us to love the things that we once hated and to, the, and to hate the things we once loved. And he empowers us to live the Christian life. And now our affections are centered upon him and our thoughts are in harmony with him. How many of you want that experience? Amen. This is what leads to good mental health. And it all comes down to the power of choice. If we say, well, I know the Bible says this, and that's all nice and fine, but that just doesn't work for me. Sorry. We've chosen to not believe in the promises of God. But if we by faith say, this is what the Bible says, this is what the spirit of prophecy says, 
and I've tried all these other things that I thought might work, but they haven't worked. This time, instead of trying to do it in my own strength, I'm going to choose to give my life to God 100%. I'm going to give my mind to Him. I choose to serve Him. And then you've given permission to allow God to come into your life, and He will guide the choices of your life. So the governing power in man is the power of choice. God can enable us to follow his way if we surrender our will to him. When we choose to follow, he supplies the power. And what we are talking about here is the new birth experience, the transforming of our mind. Now, what does the Bible say about the mental health of God's last day people? And this is where we're going to wrap this presentation up. What does the Bible say about the mental health of God's last day people. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Revelation chapter 7 is an interlude between the sixth and the seventh seals. And in Revelation chapter 6, we just, at the end of the sixth seal, we have seen the second coming where the heaven departs as a scroll, and the wicked are crying for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. And they're saying, hide us from the face, or from the wrath of the land. Now notice what Revelation chapter 7 says. It says, before this happens, something's going to take place. Starting in verse 1, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now, this isn't a major part of my presentation, but I truly believe that the four winds are about to be unleashed. We are living at the very edge of eternity. And I don't know how much more God can do to warn us of the times that we are living in. This is not the time in Earth's history to be living business as usual. We are Seventh-day Adventists living in the judgment hour on the edge of eternity. And if anybody of all the people on the face of the earth should be giving a warning message to the world around us, it should be us. This is not business as usual time. Now notice what's happening here. The four winds of the earth are about to blow on the earth to bring destruction. Notice what verse 2 says. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and it was 144,000. Notice what happens. In the last days, God is going to seal his people in their foreheads. And according to Revelation 7, that is what is holding up the releasing of the four winds. But here's something to bear in mind. Human nature says, oh, well, since we are God's last day remnant people, and if you look at the structure of Revelation, you have the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets, and you see that the Laodicean church is the last day church, and then when you get 
from the churches to the seals, you see that the 144,000 come from the Laodicean church, and then you get to the seven trumpets, you see that it's the second advent movement that pr produces the 144,000, and in the book of Revelation, we see that it's the three angels' messages that prepare the 144,000. So we see that and we understand that, and then we look at Revelation and say, oh, well, but the four winds won't be released until we're sealed. So if we're not ready, then it's going to be a while longer. Hang on. You may be on the outside looking in after it's too late if you have that mentality because God is working in his church right now to prepare that people. We want to be among that number that's sealed. Amen? When I look at what is happening even in the church, there's this polarization taking place. I spent the last 10 years of my life in Loma Linda, California. And one of the Adventist universities nearby Loma Linda is actively promoting the teaching of evolution in their school. And they defend it. And you see that taking place within our church. But then you see a revival and an awakening. And I'm thankful as I've come down here to Trinidad that the teaching of creation is not questioned. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. I'm thankful for the faithfulness of the Adventism here in Trinidad. But as I see what's happening in our world church, I was very encouraged and thrilled when I saw our new general conference president call for revival and reformation in his inaugural address to the world church. So God is moving. Things are happening. Back in 2001, September 11, how many, do, you, do you remember what you felt like on September 11? It felt like, wow, Jesus could be coming very, very soon. And that was a wake-up call to all of us. And we see things that are happening even still today. God wants to seal us in our foreheads. And it's interesting what the Bible says. Why would we be sealed in our foreheads? It's because this is where our minds are. This is where we have chosen to serve God. And when we go to Revelation chapter 14, we get a clearer picture of this seal of God. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 140 and 4,000, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. So this seal of God is the Father's name in our foreheads. That means it's the character of God written in our foreheads because we have learned to choose to follow God. Now I'm going to move along here. So God's purpose for his last day people is to have his character. Notice what Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 69. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. Do you believe that? Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. What does she say next? When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. You know, that quote lines up with what we saw in Revelation 7, that the four winds will not be released until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. That is God's last day people, the remnant people that will be sealed. So do you realize that God's purpose for us as his last day people is to have his character? 
When we have his character, we will have the mental health that is needed to reach a lost and dying world. Now, when we talk about the character of Christ, this is where I'm going to wrap up here shortly. Ellen White has an interesting quote in Steps to Christ, page 12, about the character of Christ. And there's more that I could read, but I'm going to focus on one thing. Notice what she says about Jesus. She says, Every soul was precious in his eyes. While he ever bore himself with divine dignity, he bowed with the tenderest regard to every member of the family of God. In all men, he saw fallen souls whom it was his mission to save. Such is the character of Christ as revealed in his life. This is the character of God. So when we talk about the character of Christ being reproduced, yes, that involves overcoming sin and being just like Jesus. But one of the things that she says, he saw in all men fallen souls whom it was his mission to save. Do we have that mentality? And earlier in that passage, she says, he was never rude, never needlessly spoke a severe word, never gave needless pain to a sensitive soul. I pray that we will learn to have that kind of compassion. So therefore, as I close, our mental health is of vital importance in our preparation for the coming of Jesus. It is in the mind that God reaches us. It is in the mind that we choose to serve him. And it is in the mind that the devil attacks us with his temptations. Therefore, we must guard the avenues of our mind so that God can communicate with us clearly and so that we will not be distracted by the devil. And just real quickly, a couple of things that the devil will attack us with in our minds. Harmful substances like illicit drugs, alcohol, and tobacco. Bad food, such as meat, food high in sugar content, and other junk food. Lifestyle. Did you realize that TV can have hypnotic effects on our minds so that you realize, like, if you're watching a movie and the bad guy gets killed at the end, the natural tendency is to say, yes, he got killed. And so we're actually saying, good, someone just broke the Ten Commandments. The frontal lobe's being bypassed, so we need to guard our minds. And even wrong kinds of music can bypass the frontal lobe so that we make rash decisions. So what can we do to keep our minds clear? Study the Bible every day and fill our mind with the Word of God. Pray daily, communicating with God frequently, learning how to hear His voice. Have a healthy lifestyle. We as God's people have an understanding about good diet and exercise. We should be the healthiest people here on this earth. And keep the mind active. So thank you for allowing me to share some of these things with you today. I pray that each one of us will learn more and more each day to have the mind of Christ. Because I can guarantee you, if we have the mind of Christ, when the crisis comes, we will be sealed and we will stand to see Jesus come in the clouds of heaven. And that is the purpose for why we live here on this earth. We as Seventh-day Adventists have been raised up to have the mind of Christ and to be sealed in our foreheads just before Jesus comes. May we be among the number who have that experience. Thank you.